Welcome to the OKC Community Podcast. We are so glad you're here. To get the latest updates or to watch this week's message, visit our website at okccommunitychurch.com. I'm going to talk today about having a great faith. I wonder how many of you in here are fans of having a great faith. Anybody a fan of having a great faith? I hope so. We all have our ups and downs in life when it comes to faith, but having a great faith begins with having a great purpose or a great vision. Uh, Hebrews 11.1 says it this way, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. So faith is confidence and a purpose and the purpose of what we hope for. Faith is also confidence and a vision even when we can't see it, right? God's vision, his plans for us. Heaven is an example of having a confident faith. We have a hope and a vision for something we cannot fully see, yet we have faith in heaven, right? So here's the deal. Not all of our hopes and vision are as big as heaven. Some of them are just everyday things. Some of them are just even silly things, right? We can have a faith in things. I've shared a little bit about this before, but I was, I was late to the party when it comes to liking coffee. I was 28, maybe 29 years old before I started drinking coffee. Before that, it was just bitter water. You know, I see people drink it and they make that face where they kind of squint their eyes and I think, it doesn't look like it's worth it. It looks very painful. (laughs) They don't enjoy it. So I, I wasn't really understanding it. But here's the problem. Christy had a hope and a vision and a dream of something that she had not yet seen, but she had a faith and hope and confidence that as her husband, someday I would fulfill her dream of liking coffee with her. It was like a missing hole in her life. There was, a, there was a missing piece to her marriage that I wouldn't get up in the morning and have a cup of coffee with her. She had dreamed her entire childhood about someday waking up early in the morning and sipping on coffee with her husband, and yet I did not do this. I was, I was not fulfilling my role as a husband. I would go to Starbucks. I'd order a grande hot chocolate. Guys, that's not a sexy thing. I'm just saying. It wasn't working. There was a problem. I had always heard that coffee was an acquired taste, right? That you have to acquire the taste. So I decided I would acquire the taste for coffee for my wife, right? I'm a man, and because I love my wife, I can do the hard work of acquiring the taste for something I had no taste for. Are you all with me? Like, there are times in life where you have to do this. So I pushed through for week after week of drinking something I had no thirst for, I had no craving for, I had no desire for, but yet I pushed through because I am a good man that loves my wife. I am, I'm talking to him. So there was a point, there was a point in which I acquired the taste. And I started to actually like coffee. I'd get up in the morning and I'd want it. I'd even started craving it. I'd miss it when I didn't have it. Before we get out of control about coffee, I do want to mention that God and coffee are not the same thing, even though some of you treat coffee like a God. I'm not trying to be harsh, but just remember, taste and see that the Lord is good. He tastes way better than coffee. (laughs) I want you to catch something. Hunger for the Lord often requires a season of acquiring the taste. It requires a season of committing to the Lord 
I'm going to keep praying even though I don't know what to pray, even though I don't want to pray, even though it's hard to pray. I'm going to keep praying because when I commit to acquiring the taste, eventually my acquiring becomes something I crave. You see, here's the thing is oftentimes we think about faith. Someone says, hey, we're talking about faith. We think that's a system, a belief system. Someone says, I have a Christian faith. We think it's a belief system. I want to talk about faith that isn't a belief system, but it's a faith that you crave. A faith that you, you wake up in the morning and you want it. You see, there has to be seasons in which we look to live for that kind of faith. What I'm saying is it's time to acquire the faith for some great faith. I know that's cheesy, but we're going with it. I know some people in here need to be encouraged in their faith. I, I was thinking about this. I know that there's ups and downs in faith. I know that there's people who, they have, a, they have, a, they have this, this picture in their mind, much like Christy did, right? A vision of like what Christianity or what faith in Jesus should look like. And it always feels like there's a gap between where you are presently and what you want. And, and, and we have this we have this hope in something. We have this vision that we cannot fully see, but that feels like there's a gap between where we are, and where we want to be. And yet there's something that we need to learn about how do we grab a hold of actually going from where we are to where we want to be in our faith. And so I want to encourage some of us because I believe God really does want to grow you and to a place where you have a vibrant relationship with him, where you you really are never, you have never felt, um, you know, a strength like you feel. I think he wants to give you that kind of strength. I want to encourage us from God's word. We're in Luke chapter 7 today. This is week 10 of our series, the book of Luke, Miracles Everywhere. We're going to be in a, in a story and a few other, a few stories actually, but I want to start. The main story we're going to look at is in Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 1. When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There, a centurion servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. They're speaking about the Roman centurion. So Jesus went with them. We'll stop there for a moment. So, Jesus is asked by a Roman centurion to come over to his house to heal the Roman centurion's servant. It's an interesting request. Now, just in case, a centurion is a Roman military commander in charge of a century of Roman soldiers, meaning he's in charge of 100 Roman soldiers. So he has some authority, has some power, but in this moment, he has a need. It's not a need for himself. It seems to be an unselfish need. He wants to see Jesus do something for somebody he loves. But let's first talk about where Jesus is in this story. Where's Jesus in this story? Anybody remember the town that he was in? Capernaum. There you go. It's right there on the screen. He's in Capernaum. Capernaum is a small village in the region of Galilee, not too far from Jesus' hometown of Nazareth. But there's a reason that Jesus is no longer in Nazareth. And we read about that in Luke chapter 4. Jesus, when he was beginning his ministry, he had gone into the synagogue to teach. He finishes his teaching, and he makes an, a, a very powerful announcement. He says, hey, the Messiah you've been waking, waiting on is here. I am the Messiah. Now, you would think the hometown would say, woo, pop some confetti, hometown hero. Not the case. They are not excited about this. They're not happy. It says this in uh, Luke 4, 28. All the people in the church or the synagogue were furious when they heard this. 
They got up, drove him out of the town. They took him to the brow of a hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. So this turns very quickly. (laughs) They're like, he's preaching one minute, next minute they want to kill him. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way like a boss. I love it. He's like, and he walks off. Then he went down to? You pronounce it Capernaum, right? You guys, about five of you said it. Then he went down to Capernaum. So, widely, so it's widely accepted that Capernaum becomes the home base for Jesus and his disciples. This is kind of where ministry happened, where it kind of rooted from. And it's in Capernaum that the miracles of Jesus start to be demonstrated. He starts casting demons out. He starts healing all sorts of people. So all of a sudden, you know, out of nowhere, you know, boom, shakalaka, miracles everywhere kind of moment, right? Like that's what's happening in Capernaum. But we'll come back I want to come back to Nazareth in a bit because this is really important. I bring up the location because it's important for us to notice. But let's go back to Luke 7. Stay with me. The Roman centurion, right? He makes this bold request of Jesus. It's a highly unusual request. This Roman military commander, leader of leaders, comes to a Jewish rabbi and he asks for help. It's almost like a bad joke about to be unfolded, right? But this would be like Elon Musk asking me for $20. It doesn't make any sense. He doesn't, I mean, the Roman centurion should be looking down the nose at the Jewish rabbi. But he says something incredible. The centurion says something remarkable. Luke 7, verse 6. He was not far from the house when the centurion asked, uh, excuse me, when the centurion sent friends to him to say to him, Lord, don't you trouble, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. So he's He's humbling himself in this moment. And then he says this, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. I tell that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. So he's speaking about authority. He's recognizing the authority of Jesus. Just say the word, Jesus, and it'll be done. That's all it takes. I recognize you're a man of authority. This is an amazing statement from a Roman. Most of you know a little bit about the Roman history with the Jews. This is remarkable. And look how Jesus responds, verse 9. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. He was amazed. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. There's that term, great faith. Everyone say great faith. That's the title of today's message. We're talking about what it means to have a great faith. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house, and they found the servant well, meaning he had been healed just at the word of Jesus, right? Now, I realize I have a lot to learn. We all have a lot to learn about the Bible, but I'm pretty sure this is the only instance in the Bible when a man amazed Jesus. This is the only part of it. Another translation says that Jesus astonished, was astonished by his by, by what the centurion said. So think about this. It's, it's great faith that astonishes Jesus. It's great faith that amazes Jesus. Now, the Bible has so much to th- say about our faith, doesn't it? I want to stay in the book of Luke. I want to touch on a few stories that a lot of us know if we know the Bible. But they all talk about faith. You know, in Luke 5, there's the story of the four men who bring the paralyzed man on the mat to Jesus, they, go, they show up to the house, it's 
completely packed out. It's full to the brim. They can't get Jesus in, so they, they do something crazy. They get up on the roof. They punch a hole in the roof, and they drop the man on his mat right in front of Jesus. I want you to see what it says in Luke 5, 20. It says, when Jesus saw their faith, everyone say their faith. He said to the man, friend, your sins are forgiven. A few verses later, he says, hey, why don't you get up, take your mat, go home. He completely heals the man. But it said that Jesus saw their faith. You see, Jesus is always looking for great faith because it's through great faith that he begins to move in his power. Later in chapter 7, Jesus is having dinner, and a woman comes in, and she begins to worship him. She's laying at his feet, crying, wiping her, his feet with her tears, pouring out expensive perfume all over his feet and all over him. And it says in Luke 7, verse 50, Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Everyone say your faith. Faith. And then in, in Luke 8, just a few verses later, Jesus is asleep on his boat. He and his disciples were on this boat together. A storm comes up on the, on the lake. The disciples are afraid. And it says in verse 24, chapter 8, the disciples went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up, rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and, and all was calm. And he said to the disciples, where is your faith? Everyone say, where is your faith? A few verses later, a woman who's been hemorrhaging blood for 12 years, she's desperate for healing, and she hears that Jesus comes to her town, and so she does all she could do. She just reaches out in faith to touch the cloak of Jesus, and she, when she did, she was instantly healed. Luke 8, 47, then the woman came trembling and fell at his feet in the presence of all the people. She told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Everyone say your faith. Yes. Let's say it like we mean it. Say your faith. your faith. And then, I'm just reading the Bible, people. You know what I'm saying? We're just reading the Bible today. And then in Luke 18, Jesus, he gets to this moment where he enters Jericho, and there's a blind man named Bartimaeus, and he cries out to him. He says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He shouted all the more, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on him. And then Jesus asked him this amazing question. I love this question. We could preach on it all day. In fact, I have preached on it many, many times. He says, what do you want me to do for you? Hmm. He said, Lord, I want to see I want to have confidence in the things I cannot yet see, but would want to see. And he replied, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Everyone say your faith. Your faith. There seems to be a theme here. There seems to be something happening in the scriptures that Jesus wants us to see, that God wants us to see when it comes to our faith and the way that God moves. But I want to jump over because there's a little side story happening that really, really illustrates this even more. And it's back in the town of Nazareth. Remember we said we'd come back there. Matthew 13, verse 54, Jesus returns to his hometown. He's like, I'm going to give you another chance. I know you wanted to kill me before, but I'm going to come back because I love you. Coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in the synagogue, and they were amazed. There's that word. Jesus was amazed by the centurion. Now they're amazed by Jesus. This is good news. Where did this man get the wisdom and all these miraculous powers? Miracles happening everywhere, they asked. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't, this, isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all his sisters? I'm like, are you guys really, I mean, how many questions you got to ask? They're like, isn't, isn't that, I mean, yes, it's the dude that you grew up in your town. That's Jesus. 
Where did this man get all these things? And here it is. And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own town and in his own home. And he did not do many miracles because of their lack of faith. Everyone say lack of faith. faith. You see, miracles everywhere went to not so many miracles anywhere because of their lack of faith. Jesus didn't do many miracles. I, I think it's interesting. I used to read that as Jesus didn't do any miracles. Jesus didn't do many miracles. He did some because that's how good God is, even when, we, when faith lacks. And see, but I, I think it's interesting. I, I kind of related with Nazareth in this moment. And I wonder how often this is our story that we don't get to see many miracles because of our lack of faith. God does some miracles, but not as many as he wants to do. I don't want that to be their story. I don't want that to be anybody's story, but it, I know it can be our story. When we think about the centurion, we think about the blind man, we think about the hemorrhaging woman, we think about the, the woman who was worshiping at the feet of Jesus, we think about the four friends, right, that brought the man on the mat to Jesus. It was faith that changed their life. You know, you have the blind man who cried out to Jesus. You have the, the hemorrhaging woman who reached out to Jesus. You had the centurion who humbled himself before Jesus. You had the friends who made a way, no matter what it cost, to get to Jesus. You had the woman who worshiped at his feet extravagantly. She worshiped Jesus. They were confident in Jesus, and it was their confidence that led them to have great faith. There was deep-seated acts of confidence that I could reach out and Jesus will heal me. I could cry out and Jesus will meet my need. Hebrews 11.1, 1, right? Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. You see, faith is confidence in the things that many say will never happen. I tell this story a lot, but so most of you have heard it at some point, but I was told by some people when we started this church that there would never be a church in Tower Theater or anywhere near it. That was the exact quote. But when we join together as a church in this location, I'm reminded that I can live with a confident faith because God is in the business of turning a lot of nevers into miracles. That's what he does. God says, will you put your confidence in me for what you hope for? You see, faith is not confidence in yourself. And so if you're, if you're wondering, yes, this is going to be a message about confidence in Christ. It's not confidence in ourselves, but it's confidence in God that he's always going to be there, that he's never going to let us down, that you can trust God no matter what at all costs. More confidence in God equals more faith in God. More faith is not stronger belief in doctrine. More faith is stronger belief that God is able. You and I can't build a church on working hard. We can't build a church on, I don't know, having a great social media plan or even being in the Tower Theater. That's not how you build a church. You build a church through people having great faith in God. You can't build a life by 
having all the great things of life. You can't build a life by having a great house or even a great family or great kids or a great savings account or great travel plans to get to see the world. All good things. But you build a great life by building a great faith. It's the kind of faith that says, just say the word, Jesus. Just say the word. Whatever you say, Jesus, I'm in. Just say the word, they'll be healed. Just say the word, I'll go where you want me to go. Just say the word, Jesus, I'll, I'll, I'll bow down, I'll humble myself. Just say the word, Jesus, I know you can stop the storm. Just say the word and I'll follow you wherever you want me to go. Just say the word. It's that kind of faith that God wants to see in you and God wants to use in you because when, you, you, when he sees that kind of faith, well, then he knows that you've surrendered all things of yourself unto him, and therefore life is no longer about you, but it's about saying, God, I trust you in all things. It's the whole John the Baptist, I make me less, I must decrease so he can increase, right? Confident faith is not easy. It's not a stroll in the park. It's hard. It's not for the faint of heart. Many times as a follower of Jesus, we have to look deep within ourselves and ask ourselves, what am I really desperate for? What am I hungry for? What am I thirsty for? Sometimes we have to do the work of acquiring the taste for, to a point that nothing else satisfies you but Jesus. You know, ultimately, to have a greater faith, you have to just make Jesus greater in your life. He's got to become the forefront of all things. So here's the thing. I say all that, and I want to, I want to sort of press pause and just say, I, I get that it's the tendency in a message like this to encourage you to rise up in faith. It, it could be, hey, you need to try harder at your faith. It can feel like a little bit of a kick in the pants to really get in gear <laughs> with your faith, to work harder, to try harder. But how many of you know nobody really likes to try hard? <laughs> Tryhards are awkward, right? Someone's trying really hard to fit, fit in. It's hard to watch. <laughs> right? The other day, Grayson was watching, uh, we watched TV, Grayson was watching a commercial, and a commercial with Rob Gronkowski, the football player. You all know Rob Gronkowski. Comes on, and he says, man, he is such a tryhard. And I go, what are you, or exactly, what are you talking about? He goes, well, he's just trying so hard to be like Tom Brady. <laughs> and I was like, bro, we've all been there. <laughs> Just so you know, I did have a candlelight vigil for the retirement of Tom Brady this week. But <clears throat> Some of you are like, what? Don't worry about it. Um, it's been a hard week. First Stephen, then Tom Brady. And... <laughs> Whew. Pray for me. What are we talking about? <laughs> Great faith. Great faith. We think that having great faith is about trying harder, working harder. Listen, I just, I just want to say, remember what Jesus says, right? Jesus says, cast all your cares upon me, lay all your burdens at my feet. That does not sound like a try harder faith. That sounds like something else. Author John Ortberg, he uses a term, he calls it try softer. <laughs> he says, try different, try better, but quit trying harder. Uh, okay, that's pretty cool. I like that. And it took me a while to think about like, how to explain this in a really practical way. And I thought of the example. Um, if I remembered when I learned how to ski. Who in here has been skiing before? 
water skiing, mountain skiing, skiing on a hill for the thrill? Anybody? Wow, not very many of us. Uh, let me describe it to you in great detail. When I learned how to ski, it's very difficult when you first start because they teach you something called uh, the snowplow, which is like, or they call it the pizza, right? And you, you, put your, your, you put your knees together like this and you kind of put your feet in and, and you dig into the snow and you kind of do a half squat, you know what I'm saying? And you do this for eight hours. And you dig into the snow, you dig into the snow because when you dig into the snow, you stop yourself from literally falling head over heels down a mountain and becoming a big snowball at the bottom of the mountain. Because you know that's what happens whenever you go down snow. You just become a big, never mind. I pictured the cartoon thing. None of you laughed though. Um, so anyway, like you're doing this for eight hours and then people are like, isn't snow, isn't, or isn't skiing just so fun? And you're like, no, it's not, it's not fun. They're like, no, it's the best. It's the greatest. No, skiing is so fun. Have you been to Crested Butte? The powder is amazing. And you're like, no, it's not fun. Like I, my legs are literally burning. They're numb. I just walked around in boots that were made for outer space. But someone said, hey, let's go ski in those. Uh, I don't know what it is about it, but I'm not a, I was not a fan of it. But there's, here's the thing about skiing, though. It's when you realize there's a moment, it's a breakthrough moment, when you realize, I actually have to try less. Like I'm working too hard at this. There's a point in which you let go of the edges of the ski. You, let, you get out of the squat position like you're doing a P90X CrossFit challenge. And you just stand up. And you let the mountain lead you. And what, whenever you realize that, sure, there's a season in which you had to learn how to balance on the skis, right? It's like you got to learn how to walk in your faith a little bit. It's a little bit of acquiring the taste that takes, takes place. But then, then there's a moment in which you realize there's a breakthrough. There's a breakthrough that it's not about how hard you work, but it's about, it's about trusting the mountain. It's, it's sort of like the illustration of, you know, riding the wave. It's way better to ride the wave than to make the waves. But sometimes we feel the pressure in life that we are the ones that are supposed to make the waves. We're not supposed to. We're supposed to ride them. Franciscan priest and author Richard Rohr says it like this. He says, faith does not need to push the river because faith is able to trust there is a river. The river is flowing and we are in it. Don't push the river. Trying softer means trying differently with your faith. And so if you're here today and I'm encouraging great faith, what I want to be able to say to you is like, listen, I'm not telling you to go try harder. I am trying to tell you, though, maybe there's something different. Maybe there's something a little less about your effort and more about understanding how it is to just live in the flow with the Spirit of God, live in the flow with the relationship with Jesus. Maybe it's focusing more on God's goodness and less on your efforts. I want you to think about it. How much of your faith is focused on how hard you're working versus how much God is doing and how much He is working? So often we're focused on what we do versus what God does. What if this week trying softer was, I'm just going to focus on all the good things of God. Don't you think that when you start to recognize the good things that God will do, you'll start to have more confidence that God will do everything you need him to do? You see, great faith is about great confidence. And if, you're, if your confidence is rooted in how hard you work, guess what? It's gonna be a struggle. 
But if your faith is in confidence about that, God will come through. Maybe it's, maybe it's staying patient even if things don't work out. I don't know. I, I don't know if you relate with this, but whenever things don't go exactly the way we want, we often get very frustrated, don't we? Maybe it's just saying, you know what? I'm going to trust in the things I cannot see because I believe my God is good God. So instead of getting frustrated tomorrow when things don't go the way you want them to go, you say, I'm going to try a little different today. My frustration, that only leads to more effort. So what if I just said, God, I'm going to trust you in this, even though I don't see yet what you want me to see. It may mean to stop patting yourself on the back when you behave well. This is what we do. Hey, I've been doing good in my faith. Way to go, way to go, way to go. Mm-mm-mm. Maybe it's instead doing like the centurion and humbling yourself and saying, hey, I'm a man, but really I'm coming to you as the one who's got all the authority. So just say the word, Jesus, whatever you want to do today. Doesn't matter what I've done. Whatever you want to do today, Jesus. See, we all need breakthrough moments where our faith goes from snowplow, pizza, hard work, faith to letting the mountain lead us, to getting in the flow and in the river with Jesus, to where you allow and you trust that the river will take you where it needs to take you. It doesn't mean you let go of all things. It just means you trust in the Lord in ways that you've maybe not trusted him before. Faith isn't achieved by great effort. It's about great confidence in Jesus. And I say this today and I'm like, what's, what's the practical go? I don't know what it is, but here's what, here's what I know is that some of us are struggling in the area of confidence, that, that we're struggling. Will, will God really do this? Will God really come through? Uh, we str- we're, we're struggling, and I just want to say today, like, maybe let go of trying to make it all work and just trust the Lord in a way that you've yet to trust Him in. It's a great hope in the things that only He can do people may say never. You may have even said never, but like I said a moment ago, God is in the business of taking a lot of nevers and turning them into miracles. And it's all through these moments in our life of great faith. And great faith is about great confidence that Jesus and that God can. You can't, I can't, but he can. You don't need to push the river anymore. It's already flowing. Trust the river. Trust the Holy Spirit. Trust God with your life. That gap between where you see yourself and where you want to be in your relationship with God is not found through your own effort. It's found in greater confidence in Jesus. Well, I want to pray and just close this time by just praying for you for a greater faith. So would you bow your heads? In fact, as you're bowed your heads, I just, I just want to ask a quick question. You can raise your hand if this applies to you because I want to pray for a lot of you in the room. But if today you're like, man, I actually, I actually really do need a greater confidence right now. My, my confidence has been shaken a little bit and I want to, I want to have the confidence that, that Jesus is going to 
you know, do whatever he needs to do to take care of me through a circumstance or through a situation, or, or, or maybe it's just, yeah, but if you need greater confidence today, would you just lift your hand? Greater confidence in your faith. Just lift your hand. Could be about a circumstance. Could be a general, I want a greater confidence. Father, we pray for every person raising their hand today. Would you, would you come alongside them in such a way that just reminds them, Father, that not only of your love and your goodness, but even as we talked in the beginning, that, Father, our great confidence comes in trusting in you even for the things that we cannot see. And so, Father, I pray right now that there would just be a measure of trust and hope and and confidence poured out in this room in such a way that when we walk out, we aren't afraid, we aren't scared of the future, we aren't worried, but, Lord, we're walking with you because we know we're in the banks of your river. And that, Father, in in those banks, there's nothing that can come against us that is detrimental. We can always find our hope and our trust in you, Father. And so, Lord, I pray for every person in this room, especially those that raise their hands. Lord, would you just pour out a measure of confidence in their life right now? Holy Spirit, would you come and move? You know, during the next few minutes, our our altar's gonna be open, our prayer team will be here. Some of you just need to come forward and you just need to pray right now. You need to say, you know what? A confident step is to come and just submit this to the Lord. So you might wanna do that on your own at the altar. You may wanna pray with someone and just say, will you pray with me about this thing going on in my life? There's nothing more powerful than just taking those steps towards the Father in prayer, in hope. So Lord, we just pray now as as we just have a few minutes of just responding to you, that Father, this would be a powerful time of your spirit pouring out on this place, of your spirit moving in our hearts, and Lord, for us just surrendering to you whatever it is that you wanna do in our life. God, we love you, and we pray these things in your name. Amen. Would you stand with us? as we sing today. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If there's anything we can pray with you about, or if you have questions about God, we'd love to talk with you. Please visit our contact page at okccommunitychurch.com.